in chapter 2. And let me remind you that chapter division was given after. After, okay? So, uh, chapter division, is that right, Mark? It's, it's going good. So, chapter division was given after the Bible was written. It's only to make it uh, comfortable for us to find the passage. So then sometimes you come to scripture verses and you go, if you read it in context, that these verses belong to a different chapter. And it's not changing the Bible. Don't worry, I will never change the Bible of God. I will never add anything to it, nor will I take anything from it, because the Bible warns against it. So I will not do it. I think it's wise not to do and change the Bible. So, but chapter divisions, you can. You can look at it and you look at the context. And you know for any Bible preacher, it needs to be context, context, context. If you do not preach things into context, you can have error. And then, you know, as a teacher of the Word of God, you can lead people astray. And we do not want to do that in this place, do we? We want to keep people on the narrow road. Amen. We keep on preaching that. So this is a wonderful letter. And I want to implore you to read this letter constantly while I preach through it. You know, go away this week and read it again from verse 1 right through. All the, all the chapters. So that you don't lose context. I'm going deep. I haven't, uh, have you noticed? We're going so deep in some verses. And today again I'm going to go deep in one verse. We're going to go deep. But it's good to go deep because that's where you find the treasures. It's not milk anymore. If you come to this church to drink the milk of the word, no, we've passed that stage already. We're now into the meaty things, yes? And why do we do this? Because we want to grow in faith. I don't know about you, but I still want to grow in faith. I want to, want to continue to grow in faith. And you're in good company if you want to grow in faith. Even if you're older in age, look at the Apostle Paul. He, until the dying day, wanted to know more about Christ. He wanted to be closer to Christ, and so we should also. So I want to <clears throat> talk to you today about 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And we may touch on chapter 3, verse 1 today. If you open up in your Bibles, I will read it and you can follow. Again. I lay the fact here that these two verses belong for me in chapter 3. I'll leave it for you to go and read it this afternoon and to see why I say that. He says in verse 28, he says, And now little children, little children, abide in him. Everybody say abide. abide. Haven't you noticed how many times in the previous chapters he uses this word abide? If you abide in the light. Abide in his love. 26 times in the first three chapters he's going to talk about abiding. We may touch on it today as well. He says, And now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence. Everybody say confidence. And not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Amen. Selah. Think about it. Think about what you've just said. I want to talk to you today about confidence in His coming. You see what I mean when we go deep? Confidence at His coming. 
Are you confident that when the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to face Him, are you confident this morning? Either one of two ways you're going to face Him, but you are going to face Him. You're either going to face Him when the rapture takes place, which I still believe is a pre-trip, but we won't go into that. You're either going to see Him face to face or when He comes for you personally. Because He knows where you live. He's got your address. He got your name and you can't escape him. He's coming for you. Yes, we should be glad about that. Amen. You know, we're preaching from a funeral home. We shouldn't be afraid of death. And we are not. But you are going to face him. Know this for sure. If you're a child of God, you're going to face him. Are you confident when you're going to face him? That's a question you need to answer today. Are you confident when he's going to come? It could be this evening, it could be tomorrow, it could be whenever. You need to be able to answer this question. I don't know about you, but this gets me very, very emotional. This is the international arrival area at the airport. And I always love it when I sit there and I wait for somebody. Or even when I walk out as I did last week or this week. I always love it when I walk out and I see the expression on faces. Have you noticed that? I, I remember so often, you know, even in, in Auckland, when I get off and I walk out for a work and I, in, at the arrivals at International, I just sometimes stand aside and I look at the people. And it is so fascinating how wonderful it is when a grandpa stands there and a grandma and these little children comes around the corner. I mean, you could see their faces literally lighting up, lighting up and go, wow! they become crazy honestly people become crazy there and they laugh and they run into each other's arms I get so emotional I have to walk away it is one of the most beautiful things you can do if you are bored this afternoon go to the arrivals at Melbourne Airport it is so wonderful don't, don't stop watching the violence on TV. Go there and see something natural happening. You know, it could be a mother and her daughter comes around the corner. It could be whatever, but it is just a joy when somebody arrives who you are looking forward to see and they come around the corner. Now, I've seen so many people come around the corner and it's not family of them and they just say, look, and they see this, this movement. He comes around, oh, it's not of us. And then they stand back and then patiently waiting. Have you seen the patience at these places when people wait for others to come out and then and then when everybody started coming out and, and the one that you haven't you've waited for they haven't come with the group out you started getting a little bit worried and you can see on the faces how they start frowning maybe a little bit what's going on is there something wrong here and then all of a sudden that person comes around the corner and the light, you know, it's, it's going, oh, there you are. Oh, you know, it's security kept or whatever. You know, oral kept us back there at the back. <laughs> but this is the thing, brothers and sisters. I wonder if you are patiently waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you patiently waiting for him? Are you, or are you standing there with a frown and you say, well, everybody's saying that, you know, he said he was going to come and look at all of these ages. He hasn't come yet and he's not going to come. There are people out there who are saying that. There's Christian churches who preach him and they say that he's not going to come back anymore because he's already come. He's already come and this is now the kingdom of, of God. We've, we're already in the kingdom. If that is the case, then the whole Bible needs to be torn up. Because it's not the case. It's not the case. 
So I want to ask you again, are you ready to see Him? Because as I said before, we need to appear before Him. Now there's two seeds that I quickly want to address. Two judgment seeds that you need to understand this morning. Will all the saints put up their hands? <clears throat> now a saint is somebody like you and me. This is what the Bible says. It is a born again, blood-washed child of God. Now if you're a saint here this morning and you've been born again, you will appear before what is called the Bema Seed Judgment. That's where you will appear. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes for you, whether it's in the rapture or whether it's personally, you will appear before Him at the seed. It is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 about the seed. He says, for we must all, everybody say all. He's talking here to the church. He's talking to the Corinthian church. He's talking here to the Christians. He says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Have you noticed how he says that? In Greek, that word for judgment seat is bima. A bima seat, if you talk to the people in their day, they would understand what a bima seat is. <coughs> because the Greeks and the Romans, they had these athletic competitions going on and then the governor will come and sit on this seat and they will bring to him the winners and he will put on their heads the crown for the winner this is what happened in their day but here Paul uses that expression he says we will all must everybody say must there's no escape you are going to appear there we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. Everybody say done. Whether good or bad. This is a very important scripture verse for you to underline in your Bible. And you need to go and study that verse. Because he tells you a few things here. He says that if you are a child of God, you're going to appear before the judgment seat. And then the things which you have done in your Christian life which means in the body, because we are baptized into the body, the things that you've done in your Christian life is going to be judged by Jesus Christ Himself according good or bad. This tells me, brother and sister, that you and I have got work to do. We've got work to do. Why do you think God saved your soul? Why do you think Sean is going out on the streets? And preaching the gospel in his own time. Is somebody paying you my brother? No. Nobody's forcing him to do that. He's going out in his own time. And I'll tell you what. Sean will appear before Jesus Christ. And that is a good thing if you go out and you talk to souls about Jesus Christ. Now I know he's not doing it for that. He's doing it for the love of souls. But each one is sitting in this place today who can hear my voice online. If you thought you are just born again and you can sit in church and wait until that day, until the day that Jesus comes for you personally or collectively, you are mistaken because you will stand before Jesus Christ and He's going to ask you, what have you done with the life that I've given you? What have you done with that life? Have you went out and give some people a cold glass of water? Have you went out amongst the brothers and sisters and supported them? Have you gone and prayed with somebody? Have you, have you given up something of yourself 
to somebody else. You see, this is talking about the works we must do after we were born again. None of these works that brings you to salvation. Because nothing that you can do can bring you to salvation. Nothing. But we must work. We must work. We must, if we have something like happening in Fiji, take money out of your own pockets and buy some Bibles. Or take money, or even the clothes in your closet, you know. Next time if somebody goes over to this church and you've got extra clothes in your, in your, in your cupboard, bring them all together, let's put them in a suitcase and send them over to somebody there. Because people will wear them. We must do work for God. We must. It's not if, or but, or this. And this is where all of us will appear. Now let me ask you the question again this morning. Are you confident this morning that when you appear before Him, that you will stand in confidence about what I just told you? Or are you just one of those people who come to church to warm the seats? There's many of them in the world. But God is calling you to ministry. Each one of you are called into ministry. But I can't preach, Pastor. Well, nobody asked you to preach. God has given you so much talents that He can use. You may be somebody who just supports somebody else who's doing the work. Look at Barnabas. You remember old Barnabas? He supported Paul. He supported Paul. But there's another seed. That is also the white throne judgment. Who knows about this one? And it's amazing how many Christians, you listen to their doctrine and they don't understand. Because there's still people, and there may be still people in this church today, who reckon that they will appear before the white throne judgment. We will all be here before the white throne judgment. Now I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, if you are saved by the blood of the Lamb, if you are born again, you're going to appear before that judgment seat and not this one. Not this one. You're going to go and read your Bible. You say, well, read it to us. Let's read it. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. And then I saw the great white throne and him who sat on it, whom, uh, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Anybody say books? What things is that? Oh, is that plural or singular? Plural. There's many books. You know, people are telling me, oh, we're only talking about the book of life. There's many books. I'll preach a sermon about the books one day. Maybe I'll re-preach it in this church. There's many books. God has got many books. He's got books which is right. Every single thing you say in this life is written in a book. Did you know that? Everything you do in this life is written in a book. Do you know that? There's so many books. He says, and the books were opened, and another book was opened. Is that singular or plural? Singular is one book, which is the book of life. Now, can I just test you this morning? Who believed this morning that your name is in the book of life? I believe it with all of my heart because John says it to us in this letter. He says, I say these things to you so that you may know, and I know. How do I know? With the Holy Spirit which lives inside of me and it's confirmed through the Word of God. Amen? And now we practice righteousness. We'll come to that one. Amen. So he says here, the book was opened and the dead were judged according to their words. You see, everybody's going to be judged according to their words. 
by the things which were written in the books. The books. Now, this is why I say to you, we appear before the beamer seed of Christ. You want to appear before the beamer seed of Christ and not before the white throne judgment. Trust me. Wendy, trust me, yeah? You want to appear before the beamer seed of Christ, where you will be just on a rewards and rewards which you will not get because you did not do any work. But by now, your name is already in the book of life. And you've already been judged by the things which were written in the books. You know, when we come to the cross of Christ, what happens? When we fall on our knees and we repent to God and say, Father, we've sinned against you. You know what, what, what happens? At that moment that Jesus and God reaches out to you and they touch you and you are born again, you get a new created heart, guess what happens? The books, books of your life is being judged already. Somebody shout hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't it wonderful news that before when we're going to stand before Jesus Christ, He is going to ask you, He's going to say, now that laid in your life is the foundation, Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the rock which the boldest rejected. He is in your life. And now, after He's laid in your life as a Christian, you need to build on it. And He says, some is going to build with wood stubble. Yes? Stuff which is going to burn, but some will build on it with gold and things which will last the fire. And you know it's so wonderful, it's written there in the book of Corinthians where he says the things that you will done will be judged by fire. And now I'm reminded, I'm just going forward now, okay? I'm reminded when we see Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. You remember how he's described by the same John? You remember how? He says he's got what kind of eyes? Come on. Fiery eyes. Hallelujah. It's not as if when you come before the beamer seat of Christ that Jesus is going to have a bonfire there and they're going to bring all your works on and throw it onto the bonfire and we all and the angels are going to look and see what happens. No, no, no. The moment that you die here on this earth, the next moment you open up your eyes in the other side of Jordan, the other side of this life, the moment you open up, you're going to look into the eyes of the Son of God. And those eyes are fiery eyes. Now again, may I ask you, are you confident that you can watch him in his eyes? This is what John is coming to here. This is what he says here. He says, then when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, he says here, this is John. He says that we, John, Paul, Peter, he says, we want to have confidence that when you appear before him, that you will not be ashamed. But you can apply that personally as well. That we, me, myself, that when I appear before Jesus Christ, I will not be ashamed. Wow, have you ever thought about that? And here you thought you're just coming to church and next week we're going to have church again and the week after we're going to have church again. What if there is not a third weekend after this? What if? For you personally, maybe there's not a third week. Let's be honest about this. Your eternal life is but one heartbeat away. For some that's shocking to think. I'm not afraid. 
I'm not afraid of this. But I want to have confidence that when I look Jesus Christ in the eyes, I can stand before Him and I can talk and not be ashamed. That is what I'm, what I'm talking about. That is what should keep you awake at night if you don't have confidence. One heartbeat. Don't be assured about tomorrow, but be assured about Jesus Christ coming. You see, the word here for confidence is an interesting word. It's the Greek word parousia. Parousia means the right to speak one's mind. The right to speak. I've got so much confidence that when I'm going to stand before somebody. Do you know that there's some people who don't have parousia before their bosses of this earth? They're so afraid of man but not afraid of God. They won't speak their mind before their bosses, but before God, they, they go, man, you know, I'm not afraid of God. And this is the confidence. It's the right to speak one's mind. It's the confidence in your faith, the confidence in your hope, and the confidence in the communion with God. That is the confidence you need to have. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible talks a lot about confidence. And again, I've only picked out a few verses for you. Okay, is that okay? I did it anyway. I'm not going to say I'm going to do it. I did it anyway. So let's look at this verse here. 1 John chapter 3 verse 21. If you go a little bit further. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So what is confidence now assigned to? To what? To the heart. Brother Oral read here in Hebrews about the heart, didn't he? He said, let not your heart be hardened. So when he talks about confidence here in the previous verse, he says, when he appears, we may have confidence. It's not a head confidence. It is a heart confidence he's talking about. This is why later on he says, now, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. We can speak our mind when we see Jesus Christ face to face. But let me ask the opposite. If our heart do condemn us, will we have confidence? Come on, answer me, church, will we? No, we will not have confidence. Now, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, the writer says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Do you know that verse? He says, keep your heart. Why would he say that? For this very reason. That if your heart is going to condemn you, you will have no confidence with God. So it is really important for you and for me today to think about what is in our hearts and what are we putting into our hearts. Isn't it important? We need to keep our heart. Now the question this morning is, how do we keep our heart? Again, the Bible is very clear about it. The Bible is so clear. He says, keep it with all diligence. First of all, the Bible says we need to keep our eyes. The eye gate. Because the eye gate, if you keep your eyes, you will protect your heart. It says there in Job chapter 31 verse 1, he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? He's a married man. He says, why should I look upon a young woman? This is one of the biggest issues of our life. Isn't it? Today. Today, it's one of the biggest issues. You talk about pornography. You talk about all of these 
And, and it's both sides, not men. It's men and women these days. And it's not older people, it's now children. And the stuff that comes through these eyes goes into the heart. Now when the proverb says, keep your heart, you need to be careful what you're looking at. This is how you keep your heart. You need to protect your eye gate. And I love the words when Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Isn't that beautiful language? What is a covenant? He says, I, I made a promise with my eyes. I'm not going to look and take in my eyes things that's going to damage my heart. You and I need to from here on look at every single thing and then judge it. And say, is this going to damage my heart or not? Again, I come back. Do you want to have confidence when Christ appears? Do you? Then you need to keep your eyes. Not only your eyes, but you also need to keep your tongue. You need to keep your tongue. In Psalm 34 verse 13, he says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. This is one of the biggest problems of our day, today. In churches, in homes, in families. People can't keep their tongues. They speak evil things. They speak blasphemous things. Why do they speak these things? Because it came through the eyes. It mulled around in the head and then it found its way right down here to your mouth. You know, I'm reading a book about the brain. It's a fascinating organ God has given us here, isn't it? Yes, you, you get the audible cortex, which is two of them sitting on the side. And then you get the Barocca uh, Wakisa network, which is just sitting behind the front lobe of your brain here. And that thing allows stuff to go through, but only one at a time. If you start looking at things and keep on looking at the wrong things, that's going to open that gateway into your brain. And sooner than later, it's going to form in that network thoughts, which becomes words and it becomes evil words. Fascinating, isn't it? So you need to keep your eyes, you need to keep your tongue, but then also you need to keep your what? Your feet. How do you protect your heart, preacher? You say this all the time. Well, don't listen to me, listen to the Word of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1, and again, I'm only picking one out because I know you want to go for lunch. Walk prudently when you go into the house of God. And draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. He says walk prudently. Keep your feet. When you go into the house of God, it's a good place to go. But where is your feet taking you? That's not protecting your heart. It's easy for us to sit here and easy for me because I'm past that time. But if you go to the nightclubs, your feet are taking your brain and your heart into a place which will not protect your heart. Because you walk into this place, Christ is not allowed in there. You, you can't go in there and shut down the music and turn out the lights and preach Jesus Christ. They will laugh at you. They will throw you out. They will kick you and they will pull your hair. Well, I haven't got hair, but they will do something to me. But this is the great thing about it. You cannot do that in the nightclub. The only reason you go there is for self-gratification. And once you walk through those doors, you're going to see things you shouldn't see. You're going to hear things you shouldn't hear. And then what's going to happen? Your thought is going to start making you speak things you shouldn't speak. And it sits here in the heart. Once it moves from there to there, it's difficult to get it out. So protect your heart with all diligence. 
It's important to understand the concept of the heart. The heart is not only a physical organ. This is why this man says we need to protect it. The heart that he talks about here is our thoughts, it's our emotions, and it is our conscience. If your heart condemns us, it means that our conscience may accuse or condemn us for wrongdoing. It's a quiet in here, but that's a good sign. Now the word woe, you know, we're talking here about keeping the heart. But the Bible warns us against some hearts. Did you know that? The Bible warns about a double heart. Did you know that these people are even sitting in churches with double hearts? In uh, uh, Psalm chapter 12 verse 2 he says, They speak idly everyone with his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. The, the, in fact, I checked this up. I looked into this. This means you've got two hearts. And it's impossible to have two hearts in the body, isn't it? But he's talking spiritually here. He says you've got a heart for the world and you've got a heart for God. This is what that means. This is the, the meaning of the word. Double heart there is the English for what it means in Hebrew. He says you've got two hearts. When you're in the world, you operate from your worldly heart. When you come to church on a Sunday, you operate from your churchly heart. We've heard some messages about this, didn't we? He says, he says no, no, you should, you should stop having double-heartedness. You should come and you should leave that double-heartedness. You see, it's a heart for God and a heart for the world. But that's not the only one. He says, be careful of a hardened heart. My brother said it this morning, but in Proverbs verse 28 verse 14 he says the same thing. He says, happy is the man who is always reverent. Reverent. I love a reverent man. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Calamity. You know what somebody do with a hardened heart? They close their ears to God and they close their eyes to God. They don't read their Bibles anymore. It, you know, it, it's too difficult to read the Bible. If you stop reading your Bible, you are in danger of starting to have a hardened heart. You don't listen to messages. I don't want to go to church anymore because they preach the same message over and over again. Well, maybe you should do heart inspection. Yeah? So watch out for a double heart, watch out for a hardened heart. Again, I come back to you and I ask you, are you confident to see Jesus Christ in His eyes when He comes? Are you confident or are you going to stand there with a double heart? And let it be known that you can't hide a double heart from Christ. You cannot hide it from Him. Fascinating, isn't it? And also a hardened heart. When you stand before Him, He'll immediately, you can hide it from everybody, but He, oh, I read my Bible, but you don't, you can't lie to Jesus. But He also talks about a proud heart. Look at Proverbs 21 verse 4, He says, A haughty look, a proud heart, and that plowing the wicked are sin. A proud heart is an attitude of arrogance, self-importance, and a, an inflated seam of one's own worth. You consider yourself better as others. That's what a proud heart is. And there's people in church who are sitting with these hearts. L listen, these men aren't writing to the world. The world is not gonna, the world's not listening to what I'm preaching now. You are sitting here, he's talking to you and to me. He wrote this to them. So a double heart, a hardened heart, a proud heart, and then he talks about a cold heart. Did you know that you can have a cold heart? What's going to appear when you stand before Jesus Christ with a cold heart? Matthew 24 verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound. Are we in that time? 
Lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. You see the, the cold out in context here is the lack of love. It's the lack of compassion. And it is a lack of empathy towards others. It represents an attitude of indifference, selfishness again, and a disregard of the well-being of others. <coughs> Am I talking to real people today? Again, can you see now when I said before, when we started the sermon, I said, we again are going to go deep. And this is why I again say to you, read the whole letter again this afternoon. Because now with this extra knowledge that Christ has given you, you will now understand this passage better. Now let me give you one more. And by the way, there's more. I've just picked out a few because I know you want to go for lunch. Unbelieving. What about an unbelieving heart? He says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. This one, I put it last because I believe it's a dangerous one. Demas had a heart like this. You remember? An unbelieving heart is a dangerous heart to have. He says, he says beware, brethren, in Hebrews. I, I believe, I personally believe it's Paul who wrote Hebrews, but you can disagree. Yeah, you've got the right to disagree. <coughs> but the writer says, Beware, brethren, is there is any of you with an evil heart of unbelief. Can you see that unbelief is called evil here? Have you noticed that? Or is it just me noticing that? In departing from the living God. This is, not a, this is not a good place you want to be. You see, unbelieving heart means to doubt or reject the truths and the promises of God. To lack trust in His faithfulness. To lack trust. You know, sometimes I come to this place when I'm sitting up there 10,000 feet in the, in the air. And the plane starts to shake like this. And then I've got to repeat. I say, Lord, please, I don't want to have an unbelieving heart, Lord. <laughs> <coughs> this plane will land, Lord. It is going to land. Not land like that, but land like that. <laughs> but that's not what unbelieving heart is. If you live a constant life of not or doubting and rejecting the truths. And now he says, and now little children abide in him. Abiding in. Can you see all of this? Can you see now when I say that you have confidence when He appears and not be ashamed before Him at His coming? Now, I'm going to end now with this wonderful, great news just for you today. Just for you. Because you say, man, I'm so puzzled now. How can I stay in the confidence of Him? How, are you ready? Are you, do you want to hear this? Yes. This is the great news. You know, I want to be confident when, when, I, when I close my eyes in this body is going back to the grave and I look into the eyes of the Son of God. I want to be able to speak my mind with freedom about my faith, about my hope. And, and this is so wonderful. How do we do that? He gives the answer. The key to having a good confidence is to abide in Him. Abide in Him. Would you believe that is so difficult for a lot of people? Just those words. And this is, even if you go and read, this is why I say read again the whole letter. And go and circle every time you see the word abide. Go and circle. Don't do that as an exercise. And by the way, for next week, circle all the words love. It is so fascinating. 
If you want to have confidence when He appears, you need to abide in Him. Because, listen to this now, it's so fantastic. He is changing us day to days into what? The image of the image of His Son. Who is the Son? Jesus. So when He appears, I'm going to have confidence that when Jesus is looking at me, He's going to look at Himself. Now, listen to me. Oh, just hang on. I'm not saying you're becoming a small Messiah, okay? Just hang on there. But all of the traits that He is changing in my life comes from Him. Are you with me now? All of the things that I'm changing day by day. Next week we're going to talk about practicing righteousness again, brother. But every single day He's changing me slightly and truly. I'm not going to be totally looking like Him because Paul says I'm not there yet. But, but when I appear before Him, there is going to be a lot of Him in me. Because I'm a new creation and He forms me. I'm His workmanship. Whose workmanship? I'm His workmanship. And what is the work He's doing on me? He's changing me into the image of? Of His Son. Who is His Son? Christ. This is what He did with Adam in the book of Genesis. Let us make man into our own image and likeness. When God, before the fall came into the garden, I'm not talking physically here now. When He looked at them, He looked at a whole man. W-H-O-L-E. They were whole and holy. Man, before sin came into the world, was whole and holy. When sin came in, what happened? They were not whole and they were not holy anymore. But then when we are born again, He, he restores us back into the place where Adam was before sin came into the world and now he changes us day by day to the image of his son wow this is so wonderful this is i can just keep on talking about this listen to this now we abide in him my well brother <laughs> this talks about persistence who knows that word it means keep on keeping on that's what it means We've had a wonderful missionary from New Caledonia who, who came and he became part of our church in New Zealand. He came and retired in New Zealand. He was a Kiwi. He was 85 years old then. I had the privilege of, of being, you know, conducting his funeral when he passed on. He sat with me so many times I learned from him. And all he said to me, he said, he said to me, Brother John, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. It might get tough, but keep on keeping on. The road is not good, but keep on keeping on. They're going to spat at you. They're going to swear at you. They're going to do all of these things, but keep on keeping on. This is what abiding means. Keep on keeping. Turn to the person next to you and say, keep on keeping on. We've got to keep on keeping on. And now, and now we come to this. He says, abide in me, and, and this is my last verse, I, I promise you. He says, abide in me, this is in John chapter 15 verse 4. Jesus' words, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Let me ask you the question. If you are in the, in the vine, he says, this fruit here, whose fruit is that? It's the vine's fruit. I mean, if I, if I am a branch in a vine, what fruit am I going to produce? Grapes. Yeah? So it's not my own fruit. 
No, no, if we abide in Him, we're going to bear His fruit. This is why I say again, when He's going to come, do you have confidence? He's changing you to the image of His Son, you're going to bear His fruit. And He says here, keep on abiding in that. Now, the goal of abiding is fruit bearing. This is why God saved you to bear fruit. I come back to the point which I said before. Do you think God just saved you to come and warm the seats here in church? No, no, you need to do what? Bear fruit. But not of your own. You need to bear His fruit. Oh man, I can preach a whole sermon on that. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, what does it say? And the fruit of the Spirit is, there is fruit that you can go and investigate. So, so look at this now. The goal of abiding is fruit bearing. The key to fruit bearing is what? Abiding. If you keep abiding in the vine, you're going to start bearing the fruit. You don't have to produce it yourself. I've had a man one day, you know, he put all about his house, all of the, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And I go, why are you doing this? He says, when I wake up in the morning and I see there on a poster stands love, it reminds me to love. No, no, that is producing your own kind of love. If the Spirit of God comes and lives in you, you don't need a, a poster to remind you of the love. Love is just going to come. Yeah? So the key to fruit bearing is abiding. The key to abiding is obeying. How do you abide? You can go and read. This is, by the way, in John Dahl, chapter 15, John. And it's online. We've actually recorded this sermon. You can go and find it online. The key to abiding is obeying. If you're obeying, you're abiding. The key to obeying is loving. You do it because you love Him. Nobody forces you. Who forced you to come here this morning? I know some of you just come for the lunch. I know that. That's fine. You are welcome. But there's some spiritual food as well, yeah? And the key for loving is knowing. The longer you're going to abide in Him, guess what's going to happen? The more you're going to know Him. So, uh, so uh, that is so wonderful, isn't it? Let me ask you the question again. Are you confident? That when he appears that you will have confidence to speak your mind and it's not to give him a piece of your mind please don't think that because you've got nothing to give but you can speak your mind in love now next week we will continue with this because this is why i say i finish with this this is why i say that verse belongs in chapter three because now you can understand that when he says behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of god you need to write these sons. Therefore the world does not know us because he did not know him. Why? Because they are not abiding in him, but we are abiding in him. Selah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word is so wonderful, Father. It's so true. And Father, I want to pray, Father, as you've convicted my heart, Lord. Help me every single day. Identify areas in my life which will take my confidence away when Jesus Christ appears. Help my eye gates, Father, to have a covenant with my eyes, with my ears, Father, with my feet and with my tongue. And Lord, help us in this time, Father, to keep on abiding in you in the name of Jesus. And everybody say, Amen. amen. Praise the Lord. That's the word of the Lord.